Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association. I'm Dr. Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 23rd of April 2018 and this is episode number 60. In this programme, I talk to Irish Times journalist Ronan McGreevy about his new book, Wherever the Firing Line Extends, published by the History Press Ireland. This book examines the legacy of the 23 Irish war memorials to fallen men on the Western Front. In the podcast, Ronan talks about the documentary he's made which looks at the Irish involvement in the 1917 campaign. Details of where to watch this film can be found in the podcast cover notes to this programme. I spoke to Ronan when he was in Belfast recently. Ronan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Now, your book, Wherever the Firing Line Extends, tell us about it. Well, the title comes from uh, a famous speech by John Redmond, the Irish Parliamentary Party leader in 1914 uh, at Bridge, when he told the Irish main nationalists, as it turned out, to go and fight in the First World War. Um, John Redmond, uh, the centenary of his death was uh, March the 6th, so it's kind of... Uh, it's it's it's, it's timely the, the 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 cover of it, but what it does is it's uh, the subtitle is Ireland on the Western Front. It tells the story of the Irish in involvement in the First World War through the monuments that are left behind on the Western Front. It begins and ends in Mons. The first uh, chapter is about the first shot memorial at Casto to the Fourth Royal Irish Dragoon Guards, and the last one is to the uh, Fifth Royal Irish uh, Lancers, who were the first. Uh, um, they were the first uh, uh, British regiment into Mons on, Lib- on Armistice Day. So you would have, for instance, well-known memorials like, for instance, the Ulster Tower. You'd have the Island of Ireland Peace Park, Willie Redmond's grave, etc. So why did you think a book was necessary on that topic? Because I went to, uh, I was, I did my first visit to the uh, uh, Western Front in 2013. And I went to see the one of the chapters in my book is about uh, the plaque at Nimi Bridge. Nimi Bridge is where Morris Dees won the first 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 Victoria Cross of the war. And I came across this memorial in uh, at a crossroads outside uh, uh, Mons called Le Casto, uh, and it's it was a it was a Celtic cross to the Second Royal Irish Regiment. I didn't know about this, and I was saying, what is this doing here? What is this? Celtic Cross doing in the middle of nowhere, you know, and it, it tells a remarkable story. It tells the story of a, a, a last, last ditch uh, a, a, a rearguard action by the Second Royal Irish Regiment during the Battle of Mons, and it is the story that inspired the 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 the, the, the legend of the Angels of Mons. And I thought to myself, well, if these if there are four memorials in Mons alone in my book. I said, how many are there on the Western Front? And as it turns out, there are 23. It's a remarkable, it's a remarkable physical and historical legacy that the Irish have left in, in France and Belgium. Now, different traditions uh, within Ireland, I'm thinking of the Unionist tradition, the Nationalist tradition, take different um, meanings from these monuments in very, very different ways. And do you think they represent uh, a shared history or, do, um, or, or as many of them as, as they may see it, um, they would actually represent a distinct political legacy um, for their own tradition. That's a very interesting point. I mean, you would think, uh, given that the um, uh, the unionist tradition, 
um, you know, reveres the First World War dead, that they would um, that they would have the bulk of monuments. In fact, the opposite is the case. The only memorial that is dedicated exclusively to the sort of uh, Ulster tradition or the uh, Protestant Ulster tradition is the Ulster Tower. And I have a theory about that. And that theory is that um, um, the, the 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 building of the Ulster Tower in 1921, which was a literally a monumental act satiated the need for any more memorials for the Ulster tradition. Whereas the the, 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 the Southern tradition felt that if, if these men are not if we don't memorialise these men, they will be forgotten about in history, which is absolutely correct. It's exactly what happened in the South. So you do have that every one of these memorials in some ways is is is, is in effect a mini history of Ireland because they, they, they talk about not just the Ulster Tower but for instance um the just to take a small plaque uh, at uh, um, Mousetrap Farm in Ypres, um, it's it's to a guy by the name of Sergeant William Malone who was uh, killed when the uh, during the Second Battle of Ypres in May 1915. His brother Michael Malone was uh, one of the uh, vo- Irish volunteers involved in the Easter Rising. He was killed during Easter Week 1916, fighting against the British Army that his brother had been fighting for the previous year and this is what I think is so interesting about the Irish aspect of the First World War the history of it is so complicated and there are so many competing identities and do you think these identities are now becoming wider um, or better known in the, in the south of Ireland oh absolutely there's been a sea change in attitudes in Ireland in the in the Republic of Ireland to the Irish war dead I'd say over the last 20 years again I talk about this in my book I talk about the unveiling of the Island of Ireland Peace Park in 1998 by uh, the President of Ireland, Mary McAleese. I think that wrought a change. And now I think there is a great deal of more recognition of the Irish uh, dead, Irish who died in the First World War, to the extent that uh, our Taoiseach and Prime Minister Leo Varadkar uh, wore a poppy in the in the Parliament uh, in, uh, on Armistice Day. That would have been unheard of uh, a generation ago. Do you think there is lots of myth surrounding the Irish involvement in the First World War? I'm, par- I'm partly thinking about some of the stories which um, come up around the Battle of Messines and how the 36th Ulster and the 16th Irish Division fought side by side. And a lot of people take the symbolism of this tremendously well, but the history may not really support that in terms of what happened on the ground. Well, the, the Battle of Messines Ridge, where the 16th uh Irish Division and the 36th Ulster Division has been mythologised in Irish history. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this, they did fight side by side, uh, literally side by side in the case of, say, the most famous uh, story of the Battle of Messines Ridge, which is the rescue of uh, Major Willie Redmond from the battlefield by John Meek, the uh, uh, Meek's, Meek's battalion and um, uh, Redmond's battalion were right next to each other even though they were different because they, they straddled the divisional boundaries so there are some to me Messines Ridge of course it has been mythologised but it's all it's based on sound history I mean they did fight together they did capture the, the village of Vetuscata I, I I hope I pronounced that right I've heard four or five different pronunciations for it but um, they did capture it so it, it, it is part of our shared history So Ronan tell me about the film you've also done Yes, it's called um, United Ireland, uh, How Nationalists and Unionists Fought Together in Flanders. And it tells the story of the 1917 campaign in Flanders from the point of view of the 16th Irish Division and the 36th Ulster Division. Uh, they fought together twice. The first time was at Messines Ridge, which we spoke about earlier, but the second time was at Passchendaele on the 16th of August, um, where they were both slaughtered. And the film is it, its kind of a visual reminder that, that uh, uh, the... 
First World War is part of the shared history of Ireland. Um, you know, Protestants and Catholics, nationalists and unionists have different takes on Irish history. They have different historical heroes. They have they worship different uh, periods in Irish history. But this is one thing that that we do have in common, which is the First World War. Catholics and Protestants both fought on, on in the British Army in the First World War. They both suffered equally. German bombs and guns didn't discriminate, and and, and that's that's the sort of theme of this story. Um, you have so many different people, like Major Willie Redmond, who I spoke about earlier, who was a 56-year-old Nationalist MP who signed up to fight when he was 53. As I said, re- rescued from the battlefield by John Meek, and he. His story, it, it, it's a story of reconciliation. And John Willie Redmond would hope that if he was to die, that his death would, that the death of Irishmen fighting together would bring reconciliation in Ireland. But of course we know that uh, that never happened. So where can people see the film? So Tom, I've, I've, the, anybody uh, can see the film. They can either download it themselves or just watch it. And I'm, I would be very happy if people shared this film. This film was made with uh, the support of the Department of Foreign Affairs in Ireland with the Imperial War Museum and Visit Flanders. So uh, the link is on your um, uh, your page, the, the page introducing this, this podcast. And I'll be very honoured if people uh, watched it. Ronan, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.